Hi, I'm Jason Chung, head of the esports practice at Zuber Lawler. And I'm Philip Milestone, counsel at Zuber Lawler. Zuber Lawler is a law firm, and like any good lawyers, we have a big disclaimer for you. We are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. Until you pay us. So everything here is for entertainment purposes only. Again, until you pay us. This podcast is brought to you by virtualtimes.com. Virtualtimes.com, your news from the metaverse. Hello, MetaSapiens, and welcome back to What the Meta. Today, we're talking about the metaverse and art. What is it and what can be done in it? So our guest today is artist Robbie Firestone, who creates a broad array of physical and digital art and is increasingly distributing uh, them via NFTs. She'll talk to us about that uh, and about how she's doing it and what this means for her business and uh, her livelihood as well, and also what it means for the metaverse at large. But before that, Philip, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, Jason. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right, and I'm excited to talk about this uh, uh, because I have absolutely zero artistic chops. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, what is, what's your knowledge of art, and and uh, you know how how does art figure into your life, Philip? I love these very narrow questions you ask me, Jason. They brighten my day. Art, art. What is art? Um, so, I I'm married to an artist. She is a well, uh, she's a graphic designer. She's been working in the visual field for a long time. She has a BFA um, and she sort of makes our lives beautiful. So I live in a beautiful place. Um, my children engage in creating visual art. Mom, my older daughter especially is very determined and she's sort of um, into watercolors at the moment. So that's, that's fun. Uh, I have never sort of been engaged in visual or digital art. I, I do play the violin. I played for many years. My son is just picking it up now in middle school, so we're playing together. Um, I, <laughs> I sing. That is not an uh, an, op an offer to sing on this podcast, but I, I enjoy it. Um, my mother was a a world champion barbershop singer. I, I kid you not, a queen of harmony, if you will. And so, in that wow. sense, my life has a four part barbershop, four part harmony. Her and my aunt and two of their friends. Uh, different story. In any case. My life's always been, you know, full of music and visual art. I probably discovered later because it was never sort of important in my childhood home. But then, you know, growing up, realizing sort of how important it is. And I think I probably my eyes were very much opened uh, as, a, as a father when sort of art education and sort of watching my own children do better in everything when they had art and music in their curriculum. So... In that sense, my artistic chops are what they are. Um, certainly, art is, I don't know how to define it. I don't know if we should or can. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, but that's sort of the, the, the extent of my chops in terms of visual, audio, whatever type of art you want to talk about. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I think it's funny, but uh, we discussed this last week, but, uh, you know, off camera, but... Uh, you know, my wife is also a graphic designer. So, you know, art does figure in uh, to my life that way. But I got to tell you, Philip, uh, I've never uh, cared that much about art <laughs> on a personal level, right? Uh, you know, I, I recognize aesthetic value. Obviously, I, you know, I like, I like the expression in terms of design and things like that. But in terms of, uh, you know, going to a museum and looking at the pretty art and, uh, and, and, and actually being able to be conversant in it, is something that's never really appealed to me uh, as a, as a as a recreational activity, but I've got to say, Philip, like you know, once the art world—I mean, the art world has always been big in terms of collectors and everything like that. There's always been a niche group that does it, but when you hear these crazy valuations about this artwork sold for hundred million dollars plus, if it's a Picasso and stuff like that, that obviously, from a commercial standpoint—well, maybe not a commercial standpoint, but at least from a valuation standpoint—has always intrigued me. You know, and that, that leads me to, I guess, you know, another small, narrow question, which is basically, um, you know, the value of art, right? Obviously, there's a societal value. You mentioned that it enriches your your family's life and especially your children's life. But, uh, you know, when you talk about these valuations, we're talking about crazy numbers and putting, you know, how do you know how uh, valuation is done in the art community? I mean, how do you how do you say one piece is worth 50 million, another piece is 100 million? Is it all just relative value? Or, uh, you know, maybe you have more background than me on that on that. Aspect? I don't. I think 
I, I mean, my guess would be it's market driven, right? I mean, people <laughs> think that art is important. Artists are discovered. You have important people or people that are con considered important who say important things about art. And then people with money spend a lot of money on it. But in that sense, you know, it's not different than other things upon which consumption is conspicuous, right? You have, you know, big fancy cars, you have big fancy houses. Um, so I guess individual pieces of art for display, I mean, those are, yeah, they're important, they're valuable, they're an opportunity for people to invest. I mean, certainly art can hold value, right? In that sense, mm -hmm. both for good and ill, you, people have invested in art for, for many reasons. Um, I think that the value about the art though, for me though, is less about those conspicuous sales. It's more about the experience of it um in that sense sort of art that is art that you can live i don't know i don't, I don't mean to sound lofty uh, when i was sworn into new york uh, as a lawyer i had to do it in albany in albany new york is not a place i had ever been to before but after i was sworn in i had like an afternoon to wander around and the state house is there and it looks like every state house you've ever seen but then sort of right next to it is this ridiculous plaza of these giant pieces of concrete that are just huge and stark and, and windowless. And I was like, what the hell? I'm blessed that a friend of mine, uh, George Bradley, is an architect. And I wrote him and his husband. And I was saying, guys, like, what's going on here? Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't have the context to understand it. They're like, oh, yeah, like, that's, that, that's brutalist. And that sort of opened up my eyes to this whole idea of architecture that is, you know, different, but reminded me a lot of my time at the University of Wisconsin, where it turns out we have a ton of brutalist architecture, right? Just when I was in New York, actually visiting you, um, my son and I went to the Brooklyn Museum of Art, and we saw a Virgil Abloh exhibit. Um, and it was kind of, it was really amazing, because again, it was experiential, it was his work in a bunch of different media, um, and very much fashion oriented, but also some architecture, you know, and he was taking objects like like shoes and even sort of discarded materials and turning it into art he's worked with you know many many people and that that to me is important um because it i guess i don't know this is a third grade understanding of art but the way that is both a, a reflection and a predictor of the way things are that happens at a grand scale like architecture and it happens at a very small scale like the shoes i saw at the Avalo exhibit and both are ridiculously important are they valuable I think they're valuable because they're important, but I couldn't put a price on them and I don't know how price gets put on any of this. Yeah, actually, you know, uh, I also, I too was actually sworn in in Albany and, uh, you know, I, I also noticed how, uh, you know, impressive, uh, if not beautiful, the architecture was in, in Albany, right? Um, and one, and, and I guess my direct sort of uh, entry point into, into design and, and fashion, you know, it, it's not a huge part of my life, uh, it's clearly evident, but the thing is, <laughs> I like watches, right? So the thing is, when I, when I, you know, so when I see Paul Newman's Daytona get sold, get, you know, sold for $18 million or something, uh, I understand that there's no way that hunk of metal is worth $18 million, but obviously it's the celebrity attached with it. It's the design that people enjoy. It's the scarcity and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, that obviously scarcity makes sense from a, from an economic and commercial point of view, right? It's more scarce stuff um, leads to, leads to these crazy valuations because people want it and people want it in their possession and possession is very important in the real world. And when we distribute art in the real world, there's only one copy. Right. Uh, generally speaking. Right. Uh, you know uh, that and that exclusivity is what really the high end at the super high end people pay for. But even us. Right. Um, you know, the fact that you can have a numbered collection of something. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, one of 300 watches produced or, you know, the, the one of three surviving Honus Wagner cards in baseball. All of these all of that actually adds value. But, you know, transitioning to, I guess, digital art, you know, scarcity kind of makes sense because you can an artist can only produce one thing and even even you know companies are, are constrained by resources when they're producing even things like watches but in the digital world where you can frankly what a lot of people say you can uh, copy and paste uh multiple aspects of it is is it really the scarcity that drives the value or 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 is it just people want it and and uh, you know people are willing to pay whatever it takes to get uh that even if it's not scarce um i i guess a little bit of both right i think that you can demonstrate a lot of things with copy and pasting with art uh you can sort of demonstrate your affinity for certain movements or groups and i think that's that's important in that sense a thing being freely available is great um a professor of mine i think 
I don't know where I heard this, but Thomas Jefferson once described intellectual property as as the flame of a candle, right? When I light yours, mine is not diminished. And in that sense, you know, copy and pasting of digital art is is important for that reason, right? If we are all um, sort of demonstrating the same activity to show solidarity, right? That's that's important. And I, I see that happening with art that is freely distributable. Now, that's not good if you're sort of taking it and calling it your own, right? The good old, that's just thievery, quite honestly. And if you are sort of taking it, you know, I see a, I'll not use the term, but seeking karma by debasing oneself is sort of a term one sees on Reddit a lot, where people will grab a picture and say, oh, I just did this. And it's like, no, you didn't. And they always get nailed because, you know, image searching can show that. But that's that's not cool. And that's sort of, that's the bad side of copy and pasting. Um, so I, I can see where digital art for a long time was considered to be sort of the, not the death knell, but there was going to be a, a horrible change in sort of in, in whether or not a thing is unique, because we always thought, well, we thought for a long time that things couldn't be digitally unique. It turns <laughs> out we were wrong, though. Well, that also leads me very elegantly to the next thing, uh, which is basically how have we made these things, these collections of ones and zeros, uh, digitally unique? You know, uh, obviously we talk about NFTs all the time, but, but you know, just for the benefit of the Metasapiens out there, what are NFTs, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> um, so my sort of a layman understanding, right, is you have a token that is just what it sounds like, non-fungible. You can't exchange it for another. Well, it, if you do, you're not going to get the same thing back. Um, we have now mathematically created a method by which a thing's source, its provenance, its origin can be indicated in a way that can't be falsified. Um, it's the same way that sort of blockchain works generally, right? You cannot falsify the records on the chain, um, given the nature of consensus. And that's what we're now doing with NFTs, where these things are minted, and that's that's it, right? It, it needs that digital signature, that digital history, if you will. And if it doesn't have that, it's not authentic. Um, and that is essentially what NFTs are. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're a lot more than that. But, I, but the, the, their non-fungibility, their uniqueness comes from that immutability of history, where a thing is done, and therefore it is done forever. And you, because you can't alter history, that thing becomes unique. Um, so you will see art doing that because one easy mapping of art um, out here into art in the digital space is what you were saying, sort of the uniqueness of a thing, right? This is a print, it's not an original. Uh, that's an original, right? And it's just, they don't look different to me. I know that because I bought that from the artist and this one, I don't know where I bought that. But in either way, um, now I can do that same thing digitally, where before I couldn't. If I was just copying and pasting, it was impossible to tell which was the original. I, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly true. I was, uh, what was I watching? The show called Connected on Netflix and evidently, when you copy and paste a thing, you do in fact mess with the the ones and the zeros. I mean, which probably sounds obvious, but it is possible to look at these ones and zeros to determine what is real and what is not. It was in this was in the context of discovering deep fakes online, where you can see which ones are deep fakes and which aren't by looking at the degradation of the information behind it. So I guess it's possible, but to you know my eyes just floating around Google, I can't tell who the original is or not. So NFTs change that, right? Now all of a sudden it's easy for a layperson. I don't need to understand how ones and zeros and degradation of information and whatnot understand how it works. Um, I can sort of look on chain. I guess I need that skill, but you can see where a thing is from. So uh, I think that NFTs and their sort of insane valuations now and their, their mapping onto analog art were low hanging fruit, right? We've seen that crash where NFTs are sort of no longer as insanely valuable as they were um, as art. And I think that that's, you know, that's just the market. It's not good, it's not bad. I feel bad for people that lost money, uh, but neither way, it just is. NFTs have a lot more to do than that. They're capable of so much more. They are um, sort of deep repositories of information that can be proven uh, mm -hmm. at least, at least, or at least shown to be original. And that I think is way more interesting than a monkey on the wall. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking of monkeys, obviously, you know, the, the thing is we gravitate towards the art and NFT issue because like you said, it's 
it's low hanging fruit. It's the easiest expression that we can have on it. And that's the reason why uh, art expresses, uh, you know, uh, NFTs really took off, right? But like you said, it's a bigger sort of ecosystem out there. It's, uh, you know, NFTs can be used to, to, to do a bunch of different things, including creating digital assets to populate digital worlds like the metaverse, right? And before people get really super cynical and say, oh, what's the point? Somebody's going to do it anyway. Well, if we're going to build a world, world and we want it to have cool things in it, we need to incentivize people to actually do it. That's the entire point of IP, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and that's also uh, what blockchain is meant to sort of um, protect, right? It's it's our investment of time and effort in, that and and being able to record, you know, its lineage, right? Because all, you know, that that expression didn't come from nowhere, right? It came from somewhere. And, and obviously, to a certain extent, you want to you want to incentivize people to do that by making sure that people can't steal your ideas on on uh, or, or your or your content on Reddit or other places, right? You want to be able to have proper credit, and credit usually comes with some economic incentive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's generally speaking, good thing because up until now, in terms of uh, human history, that's how we've incentivized people to keep creating and to mm-hmm. keep making stuff in this new world. And so when we talk about art and the metaverse. Um, the question here becomes, we're talking about the digital world where you have to create every element of it. You have to make not only artistic choices, but choices in how things even are expressed, right? We talked about that with Mark Jeffrey about why do metaverses look the way they do right now? Why do they replicate the real world? Why do why does Mark Zuckerberg uh, make a big fuss about the fact that our avatars will have legs now? Um, you know, do I need legs to move around in the metaverse, right? Mm. But what what is the role of art if the whole world is not yet expressed? I mean, this is a pretty big question, but like, you know, I mean, I flip it on its head, right? What is the role of art when the world can be expressed? It's a giant open canvas, right? And out here, I think we have this thing of thinking, well, this is art and that's not. I, I, I tend to try to shy away from that as much as possible. I mean, there are certainly things that some people consider art that I don't, but we won't get into that. I think that the experiential stuff to me is definitely art. Now that's, that's you know one person's opinion, but by all means, when I walk through a building, like I wanna see it as art, right? The flow of, of people and light um, is important. Same thing in a garden, right? A well-constructed landscape is, is gorgeous. Music, right? The way that it can take you on a journey. All this to me is, is experiential. And the metaverse offers an opportunity for that to be just, again, more so the way that we talk about how do I need legs to walk? Well, now what happens to my experience when there are, you know, thousands and perhaps an infinite number of new attributes that I can use to manipulate the world around me? In that sense, I think art will be everywhere. Um, and I think that's that's important because it is going to allow us to both define our experience in new ways, but it's also dangerous because we could be imposed upon in new ways. I read something that I hope is apocryphal, but there's an and there's a company out there looking to project um, ads into the night sky. So you'd have like a giant, and I, I don't wanna um, insult Coca-Cola, but let's assume Coca-Cola just takes a giant image of a Coke bottle and projects it up into the night sky, completely polluting you know the light. So there's, there's no more stars, you can't avoid it, right? That type of imposition of ads, I don't want. It's like when I go on YouTube, I just, I hate it. You know, I mean, I have ad blockers all over my life um, because I don't like them and I don't like them coming at me in a way that I don't want them. And that's sort of my fear in the metaverse, right? On the one side, it could be this this beautiful, you know, uh, curated experience of, of joy and, and effort. And on the other hand, it's just going to be ad after ad after ad after ad because that's what people are going to sort of be making money on, at least trying to. And I think advertising can be art. I don't, I don't think those are distinct, right? People, some people think, oh, it's too commercial. Like, man, that's like saying that pop music isn't music. Like, it's music, right? It's just it's a it's a it's a slice of music. Same way that advertising, commercial art is a slice of art. So, in that sense, I I fear for that, right? That we're going to be too commoditized and commercialized. I see the the potential and the joy in walking through a curated experience all the time. Um, I don't know what the metaverse is gonna look like if I have an ad blocker on, quite honestly. That kind of boggles my noodle, uh, but I want that to be sort of possible. Uh, so whew, what will the metaverse look like 
hopefully everything will be beautiful, right? And if not beautiful, at least effort behind it, right? Because what I consider beautiful is not everybody's you know, opinion. I understand that. But I want it to be the case that everybody's trying, right? I, and that's, that's not going to be possible. There's going to be sort of spam and gross things and low effort art everywhere. But hopefully we can find some way to filter that, at least through our personal experiences. So each of us can walk through a metaverse <laughs> that we like, which again, on the flip side means, God, I love my echo chamber. You know, I don't ever want to be disturbed. <laughs> and so there's, there's two sides of both of these situations. So I, I don't know, it's going to be difficult, just like it is out here. You know, I mean, it's possible for me to go through life without ever seeing art that challenges me. It's possible for me to go through life without ever seeing art that I recognize as art. Um, and that's sort of insidious in, in, in odd ways. If there actually is information being blasted at me that I don't recognize, um, and, you know, flip that where if I only seek experiences that I approve of and I'm living a shallow life and I don't know which one, I don't know which way the metaverse is going to go. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of an open question. And, you know, the, 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 the thought process that I always have is, is art going to be a commodity or is it actually going to be a product, right. Mm -hmm. Or in, in the metaverse, right. Is somebody, is somebody going to just set the environment for me and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Am I going to have to go into uh, Zuckerberg's horizon worlds and just have to, you know, uh, buy uh, aspects for my avatar? Do I have to like buy clothes for my avatar from his uh, virtual gap store or something like that, right? Or am I going to be able to create? Am I going to actually be able to interact with it? Am I am going to be able to collect, uh, you know, different digital resources and make my own uh, sort of Lego block house or something like that, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. not a Lego block house because we don't need to. We don't have to, we can defy physics in this world, right? So uh, all of these are sort of open questions and it's something that hasn't really been, uh, lockdown yet, right? You know, uh, there, because it takes so much time and money, as we've seen from 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 you know Meta's efforts and stuff like that to create a metaverse. Uh, it's been a very uh, you know uh, conglomerate forward space in terms of building it, right? Just because it's it requires a ton of effort. But the question then becomes, you know, do, does it necessarily have to be so, or are we going to get to a point where technology advances enough and enough people are invested in, in creating these beautiful virtual worlds and stuff like that, that we're going to be able to, to fill it with our own, uh, you know, quote unquote, light and art and, and things like that, right? Can we, can we get to that point? I think to GeoCities, Philip, right? Uh, I don't know if you had a GeoCities website uh, in the in the in the 1990s. Uh, did not. But if you if you were a certain age, uh, everyone you had a Simpsons GeoCities website, um, and and that was basically your your high school or middle school experience, right? Um, and think about how clunky and awful those websites were because they were created by literal children for free on a website, mm. versus how great sort of websites sort of look now for the most part, right? How slick and it, you know, and also how democratized it's become because mm. creating a really cool website in 1995 took insane amounts of money, right? Mm. If you look at the old Space Jam website, uh, it looks terrible, right? And that was Michael Jordan and, 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 and Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers making a movie together. But, you know, today I can make a website that looks slick and powerful and has all these things because we've democratized the tools the art assets, we can get stock images, we can, we can, we can do all these things with, with that canvas that we have. The question then becomes, can we do it in the metaverse? Can we create a world that we can customize, that we can interact with? Or are we just doomed to sort of be in somebody else's simulation? And you can go and you, and you can argue that we might be in one now, mm. but in a more in a, in a more uh, literal sense, we might be in somebody else's simulation going forward. I don't know, right? Mm. And and I think that's where, you know, uh, it, it might get super interesting. Mm. Before we head to our guest, yeah. uh, Philip. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but before we get, to, do you have any profound insights or 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 anything you'd like to say? I don't think they're profound, but I think what you're saying, like I was living in else in someone else's simulation. I mean the it'll be really cool to watch art um, increase its ability to change us. We have sort of art therapy, for example, right now, where people try hard to deal with events by expressing them in non, not necessarily verbal ways, right? Could be as easy as children drawing pictures or, or veterans drawing pictures. I mean, it's, it's, it's an important use of art that I don't think is spoken about enough. But imagine that if you could really use art to depict what's happening, right? If I need to explain something and I just can't with words, but I can with environment and music, and it's going to enable 
art to be used, and I hope in, in, in a great way, right? Hopefully we can find, like you said, the tools to make that easy for people. But if the metaverse allows us to you know, experience each other's perspectives in a new way, then I think that you know, is useful unto itself. Uh, but I, I, but what you say, it's important that the tools be available for all of us to do it easily. It can't cost a million dollars to do something, every anything, because that's going to be just exclusionary to the nth degree. So nothing profound, just we use art now. And I think like everything else, you know, uh, the metaverse will amplify the way that we use this thing. And I... This is going to come as a surprise to a lot of people who listen to this podcast, but Jason and I are both lawyers. <laughs> I feel like we rarely talk about legal things, but art in particular is going to require, art in the metaverse is going to require a, a rethinking of the way that we think about intellectual property. Because what you said about how artists have for a long time been incentivized through this sort of uniqueness of, of whatever they're doing, um, that will be important in the metaverse. But given the ease of digital copying, and the ability of us to sort of remix things right now, it's going to be really interesting what's going to happen with intellectual property going forward. Yeah, and you know, uh, my final point was going to be that exactly that, in the sense that we do need to incentivize people to do the creating, uh, to do the creating, right? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it took a long time for us to get these tools that we can to build these beautiful websites and Web 2.0 experiences. It and people, people were. Uh, building these tools, but they were econ economically incentivized to do so because people could buy it, people could do things, you know, what does buying something look like in the metaverse? It's still, you know, what are the marketplaces? Who, you know, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to interact with it? How are we going to reward people for their time and effort in creating something that's cool? Is it going to be sort of like a, uh, you know, feudalist system where, you know, there's a bunch of serfs and there's going to be a few people controlling uh, 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 controlling the, uh, the the state, or is it going to be a more democratic process where we can decide uh, as individuals who we want to support and, uh, you know, what sort of uh, patronage we want to give to the people that are really doing the most to actually create these experiences where we can interact and everything like that. So, you know, Listen, it's a it's an it's an open question, and I think you know our conversation with Robbie talks a lot more about uh, you know what the metaverse could look like, right? Mm. You know, you and I, as as you said, are lawyers, uh, you know, so we think about it more from a conceptual. It could be great uh, issue, but what does somebody with an actual artistic background? What could they do? What are sort of the things that they do? So I think this upcoming conversation that uh, with Robbie is is fantastic. So why don't we switch to it now? Hello, Metasapiens. We're back today with a, with a, with a guest for you, a very uh, exciting guest, an artist, uh, very experienced <laughs> in the fine arts world, but also has lots of experience in the NFT world as well. Uh, so Robbie Firestone, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you, Jason. I am very, very happy to be here. Thank you for being here. And our topic today, obviously, is going to be about art and the metaverse. We're going to be asking you things like, what is it? How does it operationalize? What its future? All that stuff. But before we get into that, Robbie, uh, could you share for our Metasapiens, our listeners here, uh, a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you got into this crazy NFT space? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I love that you're calling everyone watching Metasapiens. I'm going to use that from now on and attribute it to you. Um, I am Robbie Firestone. I am a real-life artist for about 35 years and full-time as a fine artist for 20 years. And I'm also now a Web3 visual artist. I work in augmented reality, virtual reality, a bunch of different tools and techniques. Um, traveling around the world, doing con connecting with people who are also in the Web3 and NFT space. And I do onboarding of clients who are really interested in um, high-level approach to going into utility and strategy, into the NFT space. Maybe they're really successful musicians like the guys you work with at, and gals at, at Zuberlaler. And um, and so onboarding, consulting those, those talents into NFT from an artist's and creator's perspective, as well as creating visual assets for those who feel that my style can serve what they're doing. So I don't do one-off mints a whole bunch. I more build collections behind the scenes and support folks who are uh, getting in. 
that's me. Excellent. And so, uh, you know, in, in terms of your history, very exciting coming from the obviously the fine arts world and now going into the consulting as well as, you know, the the, the selling space with the cryptocurrency art. But, you know, uh, my question is, how did you actually get involved with it in the first place? It's not a, it's not a, a necessarily one to one thing, right? Like you started in fine arts and then how did you transition? What was the process like? Well, I was into fine arts and about two years ago, a friend of mine who was super into cryptocurrency called me and said, look, you do really well as art, you know, an artist, you need to get into this crypto space. So I, I rabbit holed hardcore into crypto and started investing and hearing about NFTs for the first time. It took me about six months to really wrap my head around the concept of NFTs and what the heck are these things. And as I did that, I started realizing that my, my artwork could be visual assets for NFTs. One of the wonderful things about Josh Lawler is he's been super clear. He's my attorney and you guys are, and he has been super clear about NFTs being the, the contract. And that's one of the first things that I lead with, with my clients is we're talking about a smarter, smart contract and that the NFT is actually, or the artwork is actually an asset attached to that NFT. So um, when I started really learning those distinctions and, and what they were, being a visual artist with literally 40 years of catalog behind me of selling artwork, I thought, well, why not give this thing a go? So I'm very knowledge-based. I'm a very hungry, hungry learner. And so I started spending literally three to eight hours a day learning about NFTs and creating my own concepts, learning about web three. And, and I just, I, I joke because I literally became a runner so that I could listen to podcasts like y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so I can educate myself. So now I'm running seven miles a day because of web three, who knew? So much to keep up with. Robbie, it's a pleasure to have you on. Metasapiens, we're going to link to her art. You can find her at Firestone Art. And she has a collection on OpenSea, well, several, one of which is Firestone Femmes, which I love. So much of your work is, um, at least the things I see available on OpenSea, as I was sort of searching you up, it seems to have been made recently, right? It's obviously digitally native art. Um, and I'm curious how much of your focus these days is sort of creating for the new medium with the new tools versus, you say you've been doing this for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Do you have an impetus to take work you have done and NFTize it, for lack of a better term? I do. I do. I, I have everything from pastel landscapes that sell very, very well to I do commission portraits for Grammy winners and, and visionaries around the world and CEOs, um, as well as, oh my gosh, there are just so many types of artwork. Well, and something I'm working with Josh and, and Zubra Lawler with is I've created a four foot tall portrait of Donald Trump made entirely out of Cheetos mm -hmm. it's called Crunch Trump. And so we're, we are creating a 10K collection of basically this Crunch Trump talking, um, doing Trump's quotes. And so that's something that's in process now. So it started as this physical artwork, but then it became this idea through Bill Tye um, who, to create a 10k drop so essentially and we're going to attach charity to that and a whole bunch of do-gooder type stuff so I definitely will nft a lot of my past catalog mm -hmm. however I'm such a futurist for me to spend time with my team on working on past things versus working forward uh, isn't as exciting to me. So for example, I'm working with a company weave, that's a STEM layering system that'll probably dis disrupt the entire music industry. I foresee if they, if they do it correctly. And, uh, and, and they sent me a visual, uh, uh, platform to learn yesterday that said that would really, really work well in layering with weave. So to kind of summarize what I've just said in 2021, when I first started diving into crypto, 
I gave myself the goal of learning 21 new applications and platforms in the year of 21 for Web3. And I stopped counting at 43. So nice. I was proficient at 21 and then 43. And then I just stopped counting. And so the artwork that you see now on OpenSea is, is kind of using sometimes between between 12 and 30 iterations through different platforms that I'm creating these images that start with simple still photograph or procreate um, that I've stylized of myself and then make whatever I want out of it. Right, So, and I don't wanna get off track, but there is a, there was a, there was a fun feature in the New York Times a while ago. They would have their field reporters uh, mm -hmm. take their field bag and unpack it, right? And say, these are the tools that I take with me yes. into, you know, Mogadishu or Paris, like wherever their field reporters happen to be. Yes. And it was awesome because you sort of, you, I'm, you know, I'm a gadget nerd. I find these things, you know, these are interesting people. So I, I feel like I have to ask you 43 different applications. Fine. What please sort of are your tools, like your go-to? I know there are so many, but if you had like say list five, right. That uh, our meta sapiens like, Hey, like I want to start doing NFTs, you know, Robbie's been doing this and they're beautiful. What does she use? Well, thank you for asking. And it's really interesting. One of the reasons why I love the digital art world is I love to be on Azure oceans and beaches. So I can literally create my artwork on my phone hmm. from my favorite apps. So I will tell you, I start generally with stylizing myself as the model, because frankly, I'm the cheapest model I know. <laughs> and if I want to make my nose giant and my eyeballs tiny or purple, then nobody's going to get mad at me for doing that. So frankly, that's why I use myself as a model, probably the same way Frida did, where she's like, well, who else am I going to, who else is going to want to be around me this much? So, um, so I start with stylizing an image and then photograph myself in a lot of different ways. And then I take it into the digi playground. So my favorites right now are uh, on my phone, all of them apps. There is Motion Leap. There is Starry AI, Color Effects and Procreate, obviously. Bug mm -hmm. Life is fun. Um, let's see. Oh, PixArt. So PixArt, P-I-C-S Art is one of the really good ones to start with because they have all of these interesting templates um, that show you an example of a final image and you can input your own photograph and then play with various uh, prisms and filters and things and take yourself through while you're familiarizing yourself with the app. Oh, and then favorite GAN ones, which are generated artwork. If I want to take my face and turn it into an alien dripping, I was going to say blood, but that's a little horrible. An alien <laughs> dripping flowers. No I, judgment here. Style. Flowers, blood, we're More good. my style. An alien dripping flowers. I can take my face and like write the word alien and flowers, and then it does a mosh up and creates a new art thing for me. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I'll take that and pull it into beat leaps, or that, that's way too many. That's more than five. Sorry, that's probably more. No, than but it's 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 amazing, right? There there two because there are so many tools out there, right? There's so many uh -huh. people trying to dabble and play around. And yeah. you know, having someone of your experience and stature say, "Look, these are the my go-to's at least that I list." Yeah. It's going to be. I mean, it's interesting and useful on so many levels. Uh, I mean, so and of course, you know, Jason and I are lawyers, right? And as you talk, you know, like I love uh, you, by the way, I love lawyers. <laughs> you know, like that's not the reaction I normally get when I tell people my profession. So well, I appreciate that in a big well, way. Well, then they should be with Zuber Lawler. So thank you, right? All right, people, we are going to pay her later, or maybe she'll pay us. However, this goes. Um, <laughs> So as, as far as it goes, though, right, like the, the art appreciator in me, you know, all of a sudden, you know, loves everything you're doing. The lawyer in me, you know, understands that you're using yourself as a model because no one complains. But that's true, of course, not only emotionally, but legally. Right. Um, yes, baby. That's it. <laughs> because because there are so many people out there with so many concerns and there's so much litigation that happens. Yes. Um, and I we're not going to sort of begin the legal <clears throat> discussion because that would get much more boring, much more quickly. Uh, but because we're talking about some pretty good legal discussions, Josh. Truth. But because, <laughs> because the podcast is about the metaverse, right? Sure. I'm curious, um, do you have designs on any particular metaverse? Can you imagine instead of a four foot, you know, giant crunchy Cheeto, 
uh, those azure landscapes being designed by you, right? So it's not you sitting on the beach making art, it's you designing the beach. Yes, yes, yes. It's so yummy. I love it so much. I was talking to a company that um, will go nameless because I don't have a contract with them yet, uh, but they wanted me to build uh, an island, essentially a Genesis island of whatever I could imagine. And so that got very exciting because they said how many buildings they wanted. And I said, I'm not going to do the construct, but I'll do the, the visioning and tell you guys what dings and whistles, because that's way too big a job for me to be doing. We need like 50 developers for that. But essentially, I mean, rain can be coming horizontally, crashing into your building, exploding into fireworks and becoming clothing on the passersby. The ocean can become plasmic with stars pulling out of it and sailboats landing on the top and anchoring. I mean, anything that the one can imagine can be made in the metaverse. Cheeto, uh, the, the Crunch Trump project, wouldn't it be fun to make it like a Disneyland and have people literally climbing up it mm -hmm. like a mountain and rappelling down and like bouncing off his nose or his eyeballs? Mm. You know, there there's just anything that can be built within the metaverse. And it's so much fun. And it's just an infinite possibility. When I was younger, in my <laughs> girl, girl, in my first career, I was in advertising in New York City, I came out of Parsons, and of course, need to make a living. So I became an art director in a bunch of ad agencies. And there was nothing more fun than sitting around in the boardroom with creatives who knew that the sky was the limit. We didn't think about budget. We didn't think about any limitations. We literally went massive macro idea. And then as we threw all the, that spaghetti at the wall, which I'm going to NFT, by the way, that I think that's a pretty fun project, right? <laughs> so, um, so, uh, no, be still that, kill you. I'll send my lawyer after you. Um, gotcha. So, but, you know, literally you can create anything in the metaverse and it's just such a delicious and exciting space to be like those days in advertising, except now there's not really a budget to do it. I just find the right tools and I make this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's time. Yes. But I spend time painting. So why not spend time in the meta? Mm. You know, that's actually, that's actually really interesting because another guest of ours, Mark Jeffrey, uh, you know, came out and said, uh, you know, one of the flaws that he finds with the current metaverse is that you can basically do anything you want, uh, but everything is <laughs> bounded by the physics of today, right? And we still have yeah. to move in a certain way. And when you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, waves that can crash in different ways or rain that can come down horizontally and all that kind of stuff, how do you feel about the metaverse of today or the worlds that we have available today? Is it is it is it inventive enough for you or can it can we go further in terms of imagination and art and, and oh. how the entire place works? We can go so much further. So we are so nascent right now, right? One of the reasons I'm so passionate about onboarding conscious, mission-driven, talented creators into the space is exactly that. Essentially, we have code, which is not my specialty. I have a dev team for that, thank goodness. And engineers are, are, are artists who just know math as well, like architects. They are artists only. They, they can actually make things not fall on people and kill them because they know math. So, uh, you know. This it's a good skill. It's important skill. Yeah. And, or bridges falling. Um, and so, I, I believe what is happening now is if we can use the NFT terminology, what we know in a collection is that there's the common, there's the rare, there's the super rare, and then there's the legendary, right? Mm. So what we know that's different about the metaverse and about Web3 right now is VCs are common. Money is everywhere. It's like a messy, crazy world of money. Right. So they're actually the VCs are the common, which doesn't happen at IRL. Right. And and then the, the Uber creatives who can code those engineers. Also, I would say the most important person is going to be the third party auditor um, in in code 
and 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 legal but essentially that that artist mind that creative who can code is the is the legendary and then everyone else is kind of in between and so what we need to do what i am passionate about doing is onboarding those creatives who can then visualize and conceptualize these insane ideas marry them with the devs and and figure out how to make the metaverse so exciting i one of my favorite programs that i work in the metaverse is tilt brush which is an open source google product that essentially engineers brilliant minds can pull and make into interesting things well i make fine art in it so i start with what i create as this firestone it's my brand it's my it's my name. And then I build artwork out of it. Usually these planets and plant plants. I love doing these kind of botanical things that are made of fire and stuff. And so instead of looking at a Van Gogh in a museum, you can actually go inside it and have an immersive experience traveling along the stem of my fire flower mm. or something like that. So for me, it's really about keeping myself in that tip of the spear with the smartest people in the space so that when there's an idea that needs to be executed, I can play in that sandbox, hmm. quote unquote, not the sandbox, but <laughs> sometimes. It's, you know, it's, and I think I will sort of take this moment and sort of take off my, my host hat and just say in terms of the legal engineering that we get to do with people like you and other uh, folks who are excited about what you're calling the tip of the spear is itself an absolute joy uh, oh. because the law, much like physics, you know, exists for a world that um, assumes its rules won't change. Yes. But the metaverse is not that world, right? It has no native law. It has no native citizens. It has mm -hmm. probably nothing native at all, except for, you know, ones and zeros. And once quantum computing comes in, that'll change too. Well, and that's it's... one of the reasons. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please. No, no, please interrupt. I was going to say, and that is one of the reasons why I love Zuber Lawler. I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. Meta, what did you call it? We are, though, unfortunately. Meta sapiens. You guys are. I am not. The Meta sapiens. So here's the thing that's really interesting about working with Josh and you guys is that you are so creative and you really get that um, you get utility, you get strategy. When I talk about crazy ideas, Josh can sit there and go, oh, you know, here's something we could do with that. And and it's, it is, a, I would bet for you guys, it's super refreshing because you get to use your creative minds now in law and yeah. in, in a different way. I mean, obviously you're being creative as you're problem solving, but it's just, it's super cool. It's a fun, it, it is an extension of my artwork is thinking about the utility and the strategy and the visioning and who my partnerships are going to be. It's so exciting to, to onboard a new client in the space and think, oh, okay, did you think about the fact that you're a musician and you're on your bus and you're about to go to a 10,000 person sellout gig in wherever, and you just write like lyrics on a napkin for your next big hit that can be an nft asset mm. you can sell that mm. you know and 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 that's part of the creativity right yeah and even better not only can they sell it they can own it right they instead of having to find a label and a middleman and an agent and all this other stuff no you can use the tools you use and all of a sudden yes. you are you know at least in somewhat control of what you're doing and you know the interesting thing though that's really good i want to is this week right now what there's this whole conversation about artists not getting royalties and i want to every one of those people who are saying that because it doesn't that's the whole not the point of web3 web3 is about let's get us all in and earning what we are worthy of earning and um so i just i hope you guys are shutting that down too because the artists we all know in, in music, in art, it's broken right now. I've been entrepreneurial. If someone goes to my resume, they are not gonna see galleries. I've never done galleries. I've promoted mm. it myself and built my own world because I didn't want to fall prey to being victimized by a system that, you know, unless you're famous, you're really not making any money. Basically, when I stepped into the full-time 
real life art world. It was 50 to 60% to gallery and they deserve it. Like they have overhead, they have staff, they have marketing. It is a business. I get that they need to do that. Mm. However, if every piece that I sold or they sold for me, 50% went to the gallery, 30% went to my government, what's left over for food, electric bills and paint? What? I'm not very good with math, but I think that's like 10%. That's not really working for me, you know? And so the idea of people pulling that royalty from, from the creator now makes me want to punch people in the nose. Mm. I mean, I love that sort of the push you're putting for Web3 on that front. Jason, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, uh, Robbie, what's really interesting here is that, you know, you're right, well, we exercise creativity in different ways, obviously, as, as lawyers, but the thing is, what, what Red3 allows us to do in the metaverse, especially allows us to do is really think about the world and not our world, just a world. And if we had no limits, what could we do there, right? And really figuring that out and working together with people with different skill sets, such as yourself, is really part of the, the draw and the attraction of, of doing this type of work. Because really, you know, everything is on rails in the real world because this is what we're used to. But we don't have to be, uh, you know, we have some rail, <laughs> some guidelines, uh, but those guidelines are ge generally because of human relations. And we get to really think about what does that mean to be a human or an actor, forget even humans, just what does it mean to exist in some form in the metaverse? And that's a really sort of exciting uh, aspect for at least me to think about. And one thing I did want to ask, because we've been very bullish on it, but, you know, speaking in terms of, you know, obviously a lot has happened in the NFT and crypto space recently. How have you or your clients been affected by, you know, what they've called crypto winter and the NFT sort of bubble and, you know, valuation bubble and popping and all that kind of stuff? Have you seen enthusiasm wane or is it just one of those things where it's just an evolution and this is just a step along the way? Oh, well, I'm a hodler. And I have always stayed with the idea, do not invest what you cannot lose. And this morning I was listening to something about Celsius, which was kind of sad for me because I have some money in Celsius and I'm probably going to lose it, right? So that's a real bummer, but it's not going to stint my lifestyle. It's not going to do me harm in any way. So my investment strategy is relatively aggressive, but not, um, not where I'll do myself harm, right? That's personal responsibility stuff. So, and most of my colleagues, my, my, my clients are, are more wary about getting into NFTs because they completely equate it with cryptocurrency. I am much more bullish on NFTs than crypto itself although I'm in both. Um, and so, you know, the conversation for me and my colleagues, I have a crypto salon at my house um, every month of some pretty significant minds in the space. And for me, it's, it's like race car driving and I'm not, I'm not a race car driver, but I understand that the way you win is to push into your fear and accelerate into the curve. And the moment you start to drift is when everybody can pull ahead. And so for me, I'm, I personally, for my, uh, my trajectory in Web3 is to nose into the curve and accelerate. Mm. And that, if I, if I can, the reason I'm so passionate about it, Jason, I love what you said about the ability to perhaps disrupt the rails. The reason that I am so passionate about Web3 actually has nothing to do with art at all. It has to do with a philosophy that we have built rails that are not only performing very poorly for creators in the world, but for humans. I mean, essentially algorithms have siloed us against one another, built extremist views. And for me, I miss a lot of my friends who were on the other side of the table, politically, for example. And we've all stopped having a conversation because these giant algorithm, algorithmic machines and, and where our data is owned 
is being sold to entities and organizations that I wouldn't want my data, data sold to. And so Web3 for me, and the reason I'm so passionate about getting conscious, mission-driven, talented creators in is so that we can all build a new consciousness, build new rails, build new rules, whereby humanity can come back together again and frankly save the planet. I mean, I'm, I'm not playing a small game here. And, um, and so I, I go very, very deep philosophical and action oriented when it comes to building web three for those reasons, which is why, again, you won't see me spending a lot of time minting like one off, one off artworks that I do because my focus isn't necessarily selling art. It's pulling players in who are going to change the world. That's mm -hmm. what I'm excited about. And it feels really, really good to hear you, Philip, say that you like my artwork and I love it. And I'd love to have you as a collector. It's super fun. <laughs> and it's about something much, much bigger for me. Well, and I hear you. And in a sense, I think it takes us back to the first statement. You say you work in virtual reality and augmented reality, right? Your NFTs are virtual reality, mm -hmm. but you bring people into the ecosystem in an effort to change the world is you augmenting reality. So I feel as if your art is not just experiential, but you know, you're being the change and that's great. Well, that's, that's, I think all we can do, right? Otherwise we're victims to another system. Yeah, what's the point otherwise, right? I hear yeah, you. What's the point of taking a breath if you're not going to do some good with it? Mm. Just me. No. It's not. And that's what's awesome <laughs> because it's, it's Jason, it's me. I think it's the Metasapiens and it's people involved in this world and, you know, the worlds that we're creating, right? Because yes. uh, actually Jonathan Stringfield, another guest we had on, he just wrote a book about marketing uh, in sort of gaming and the metaverse and whatnot. And his point is learn the lessons, right? Take web two, see what we did wrong. Yes. And when we're building web three, don't make those mistakes. We're going to make mistakes, but don't make the same mistakes. And that I, I think is the that. opportunity. Can you, what's the book and what's the author again? Because I'm going to buy it. Uh, I'll, I, it's, it's called Jason. Get in the Game by Jonathan Stringfield. And, uh, you know, we can see send you a link for sure. I'm sure hey. Jonathan would uh, will appreciate it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan, for writing a good book. Can't wait to read it if you're watching. We love bringing worlds together. Well, yeah. um, you know, before we wrap, Robbie, is there anything that we missed or you'd like to, uh, you'd like to, you know, share with the, with us or the Metasapiens, uh, you know, uh, about, you know, either your career or what you're excited about or, or a question that you can't believe that Philip and I missed because we, we were sloppy. Um, well, okay. Um, now you guys are awesome. What a fun interview. I can't, I can't believe we're almost done. That's kind of mockers because I've had so much fun with you guys. So thank you for that. Thank you're you. great hosts. Um, I think a mine would be like, one of the things I love to ask people is what do you need? What do you need in the space? Like, what do you need to, you know, so if there's anything that I can do to serve any, your, any of your Metasapiens on what do you need, happy to do it. Um, also two things that I think are like hugely needed in the space. So if there's someone watching who's like, oh, I have that tech, get on it because I haven't heard about it. It's the crypto badging idea, right? So how do we badge physical artwork? And, and in a in a sustainable and actually non-removable way like what's the best i have one company that i know of that's doing that in a prototype and i'm kind of consulting with them but i really really need that for my own my own work i mean that's not my work that's a very famous person i forgot it's like i love that work but if i could nft my physical artwork and give give that crypto badging to my collectors that would be a huge thing for provenance and for their value and the other thing that artists really really need is um i know adobe watermark it will uh, digitize a watermark inside emotion like a gif or emotion artwork however you have to own the entire adobe suite in order to mm. do that from my understanding and those i don't you know i have people who do my adobe work for me and my design for me so i need that somehow that that watermark to exist as an artist and artists working who want to move into the space and are afraid of having copyright infringement or problems with that, um, their imagery is stolen. We need that. So those technologies are desperately needed by artists in the space right now. And um, as for 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't really know of any questions. Just that, let me know if there's some way I can serve you guys or serve your your crew. And and I'm super happy to be. I was about to say in bed with you, but I'm, you know, <laughs> on Zoom with you. <laughs> Luckily, I'm an artist, so I can say crazy things, and people are like, mm. "Yeah, and we're podcast hosts, we can do the same thing." So, all right. <laughs> I know. I was like, "Should I wear a shirt?" And I was like, "No, I'm going running after this. I'm going to wear a shirt." There it is. What? Oh, what are you going to listen to on this run? I think I'm going to listen to what the meta. Nice. Somebody hashtag that. Somebody, somebody <laughs> grab that. What the meta? Yeah. <laughs> Snip it, clip it, make it a make it a, a blockchain <laughs> asset. <laughs> that would be a good uh, anthem for the you know the art world, the NFT art world. Snip it, clip it, drop it, <laughs> it. All right, that's for you, music person, whoever you are. If you wherever need to get you are. At, I'm your girl. Perfect. So, well, yeah, super fun. Thanks, guys. Robbie, thank you very much, and uh, you know, appreciate you spending uh, time with the Meta Sapiens here today, and us too. Absolutely. Thank you, Robbie. Lovely Thank time. You. Thank you, guys. Have a blessed day.